hello, and welcome to Relay SA, a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada, where each person we interview tells us who they think we should interview next, passing the metaphorical baton along from interview to interview. I'm Adam Kewen. This is it, episode one. I'm so excited to get this started, and I could not think of a better person to start with than with Jen Gonzalez. You might know Jen from her prolific and super positive social media presence, or you might know her from her role as past president of the Ontario Association of College and University Housing Officers. You may have come across her hugely popular blog post from the Ryerson Student Affairs blog that she wrote in April 2015 called Facing the Fear, the Key to Transformation, where she bravely wrote about how to face fear in and out of the workplace. If you don't know her from any of these, then you probably got to know her as one of the members of the team from last year's Road to Caucus experience, where they drove from Toronto to Vancouver to explore what it means to be a student affairs professional in Canada. Now, I know Jen as one of my closest friends and colleagues. When I knew I wanted to try to make a podcast, I knew that interview number one had to be with Jen. Jen and I met during our undergrad degrees at the University of Guelph and became fast friends when we found ourselves on Residence Life staff together. I've always admired Jen. She is so smart, articulate, adventurous, and caring. She's a total connector, and she's just the kind of person um, that you hope everyone has a friend like her or a colleague like her. Anyways, enough gushing. Here's our interview. Here's the conversation that we had over a cup of tea in Jen's condo in the east side of Toronto. Enjoy. Adam Dewin, what are you doing? Who will you talk to today? It's Relay Essay. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel great. Okay, let's start. Okay. Okay, we are here with Jen Gonzalez. Would you like to state your full name, please, for, the, sure. for our listeners? My name is Jennifer Jacqueline Gonzalez Chavez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and where do you work? What's your role? Um, What's and happening? I'm, I'm currently the director of student life at Ryerson University, located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And how long have you been there? I have been at Ryerson for six years. I'm in my seventh year at Ryerson um, and in the director role for about a year and a half now. So okay. yeah, oh, two years in July. And before that, I was working in residence life and housing. Amazing. And I like asking these questions that I know the answer to because <laughs> <laughs> I know you very well. Uh, but I, you are my very first interview. Thank you. On this podcast. I'm, I'm very, very excited. excited. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. This is already going extremely well. Um, so, Jen, could you take us back to the very beginning? Where are you from? Oh, oh great question. Mm. Um, I actually saw a really interesting TED Talk recently that was talking about that very question. And it was a really, really great take on that question and how you can fr- flip it and frame it as where are you local to. So where are you local to? So I am local to a few places. Hamilton, Ontario is where I was born and raised and grew up. My parents immigrated from Ecuador, so I am also local to their hometown in Ecuador, which is called Guayaquil. It's on the coast of Ecuador, just close to Peru there. And I spent many, many summers and lots of time listening to stories about that place. So I feel very local to there. Um, I went to the University of Guelph. And spent a good uh, chunk of time there as a student as well and as a professional. So I feel very, very close to Guelph, very local to Guelph. Um, And then finally have landed in Toronto, uh, which was a huge leap for me from leaving the safety of Guelph to come to the big city. Um, But have finally, I just recently feel like Toronto is actually home. So Mm. I've been here and I I 
feel very local to my neighborhood, which is Corktown, Old Town, as well as Ryerson, which is right in the middle of the city, bustling, the biggest intersection in Canada. Um, I love telling people about little restaurants and little kind of nooks and crooks that you can kind of feel home in, in right. the middle of the big city. So, right. yeah. So what was that turning point? You said that you just started feeling like Toronto was home. What was the tipping point? Uh, I think one kind of factor that I use to denote home is if you are able to run into someone right. and know them. Yeah. And obviously when I first moved to Toronto, a lot of that came from Ryerson. So it would be students or people who worked at Ryerson. I live 20 minutes from campus. I walk to campus. So it was a lot of Ryerson connections. And it was only recently that I started running to people from yoga or from the gym or, you know, from the mall or like Swiss Chalet is one of my favorite restaurants. And like, <laughs> you know, and I ran into the waitress in a completely different neighborhood and she recognized me and I recognized her even though we didn't have on, I didn't have on my, you know, my business outfit or my work outfit. And she definitely did not have on her work outfit, but it was that connection of, oh my gosh, the city, even though it's one of the biggest cities in the world, the biggest city in Canada, that connection that comes mm-hmm. from just running into people on the streetcar, people who now it's come kind of come revert or you know full circle that it's students from now seven years ago and I get to hear about where they're working what they're up to and how their families are what their lives are like and I think mm. that's when a city like Toronto became home yeah. that's when it was the people and the connections hmm. coming full circle. So tell me about the start of your journey into being a professional student affairs person. Ooh. Like, and I know I was there for part of it. <laughs> yes, but you what, were. What do you think are some of the highlights from um, your first few years as a pro? Oh my goodness. I, I, I can't even, it's one of the most magical stories of my life, I think. And I'm not sure what will happen with my career and what will happen overall in my life. And, you know, I often imagine my 80th birthday and I think about who will be there and I know that there will be people there from student affairs and it was just this kind of very synchronistic place I was an involved student leader I became involved in student leadership because my residence advisor was not the most present residence advisor so I kind of took on that role naturally in our community in terms of organizing events and organizing outings and organizing connection points for me and my community I met my best friend on day one of residence life which is amazing mm-hmm. um and then when they said that we could get paid for that, I was like, excuse me? Like, how, how does that happen? That's amazing. And at and the a time... a sweet single room and <laughs> meal plan points. <laughs> and posters to put up every, every <laughs> week. Um, at the time, I was trying to figure out my finances. And my sister had just been um, accepted to medical school, a naturopathic college. She's a naturopath. And so the money that my parents had put aside for me all of a sudden was kind of given to her. Uh, which was totally a family decision and a, a decision that I was behind. But it meant that I was going to have to figure out housing, money, tuition, all these different factors that I didn't really plan on. So it really was a magic answer. I could have fun, be involved, get like just the best friends ever, the people who are like-minded, people who were cared about leadership, cared about giving back, building community, and make the money that I needed to get through. Right. Um, and kind of the same thing happened at the juncture of graduation. So that was kind of my the juncture between first year and second year, and then the juncture between fourth year and, you know, life, career, right. um, was was very similar. So I was like, wait a minute. So not only can you do this as a student, you can do this as a professional. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, I think we all had that 
that light bulb moment yeah. where it's like, I can do this <laughs> for a job? What? There's a profession here. It's like, yeah. I mean, it was epiphany, an epiphany, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. I had done my degree as what, When was your epiphany? And who was there for it? Oh was there a gosh. moment or a person? Yes, Rebecca Harrell. Yes. My residence manager, my boss in my final year uh, in training during going into that year. Um, I was in biomedical science. I had one year left of biomed. Um, and she was like, I don't think you want to do that. I don't think you want to be a doctor. And I was like, what are you talking about, Bex? And she was like, what if you just look into the courses that you finished, the credential that you can get with those courses, and then maybe have some time freed up in your course. If you don't get the biomedical science degree, but you get a biological sciences degree with honors, and then that frees up your time. I was worried about some very specific courses that were coming up that year. Sure. And it was the best advice she ever gave me. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I went back to campus. We were at camp. We were in a very idyllic nature filled, you know, (laughs) scene. And I was like, that feels right. That feels more aligned with me being happy day to day than trudging through these last two courses. So sure enough, I had way more credits than needed to get the biological sciences degree. I ended up spending that last year doing English and arts and doing a great job in my in my role and position in Res Life, which was kind of a paraprofessional role. So I had lots more duties and got a real taste for what it would be like to be a professional. And it right. was amazing. So I really do owe a lot to many mentors, but Rebecca in that one moment, for sure, just saying, I know that you could do the student affairs gig. I know that you could do res managing. I know that you could do it wherever you want to as well, which I was like, I think I want to do it at Guelph. I want to get back here, which at the time was not the norm. Right. Um, And it was amazing to go ahead and see that dream come true eight months, less than eight months later. You know, it was awesome. Yeah. I had a similar moment with Brad Clark. Brad Clark. Who, (laughs) I remember in a one-on-one, I was in that quintessential fourth year, what am I going to do with my life? And he's like, have you ever thought about going to student affairs or residence life? I was like, you can do that. And he just gave me this dumb look of like, <laughs> what do you think I do? And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> it was like, I never thought that I could be like him. You know what yeah. I mean? But yeah, no, that was a, a pivotal moment. Absolutely. Okay. So you have a biosciences degree. Yep. And you're going into your first few years and then you decide to go back to school. Yeah. What was that decision about? So good. So I, I ended up at Guelph. Uh, you were on the professional team, you, me, and I would say this just the superstar team of professional staff. Had a wonderful you know experience in those three years. I always call the first year baptism by fire. <laughs> the second year, just learning, integrating some of those lessons. And then that third year, we really soared. You know, And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I feel so fulfilled at work. I was integrating to the Guelph community. I was taking... African dance lessons and going to the market every week. And Irene Thompson, our supervisor at the time, like very, I would say so compassionately said to me in my second year, like, this is not, this is a three-year contract for lots of different reasons. But for you specifically, Jen, it's because we see big things for you. You know, we see you making an impact on this field more than just on this campus. And it's important to have chapters end, you know? And I was like, devastated like I was like this is my supervisor this is someone who I looked up to who was responsible for having vision for this program sure for 5 10 15 20 years out and I really wanted to be part of it and I 
really worked through that. I'm glad she told me in second year. Because <laughs> I worked through that that whole kind of summer. Right. And into the third year, really started to think about different options for me. Um, I knew I didn't want to go back to medicine. My, my original intention and career path was to be a doctor. And I knew that that wasn't uh, where my heart was. But I thought teaching might be. Um, so, again, Irene, very, like, just amazing vision. Um, was like, yep. Yeah, okay, cool, can you do teaching in a way where you can still focus on adults? Because it's very apparent that you're an excellent educator, that you have a really great kind of magic touch with this specific age group of 16 to 20-ish, as well as she's like adults. Like, you're a great team player. You're an awesome contributor to our team. You can really influence a group of people. Mm -hmm. So I applied to a whole bunch of teachers' college, but focused in on this Master's of Teaching program at OIZ and U of T, which is what brought me to Toronto, um, that had a component of research and I was able to kind of say very, very, you know, authentically that my intention was to research adults and adult learners. Um, so that was pretty cool. I got into that program and, you know, certainly again, Irene kind of having that vision was like with a master's degree, you could do my job, right? you know, you could become a assistant director of res life versus just a residence manager going back into, and it was a big risk. I was taking two years off of the field, and I remember talking to lots of people like you and other mentors that I had about that, what, what it would be like to depart, and if I would lo- want to come back, how would I do that, and where would I do that? And Yeah, a lot of people are afraid, and I've heard people name it, and it almost sounds like people are, are have this like almost like movie or like Hollywood thinking, like they don't want to leave, yeah. that they'll be forgotten, and it'll be harder to re-enter later on. Yep. Did you have those thoughts, and how uh, did you... Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, and I think now at the age that we're at and at the time we're at, that this is a very real kind of concern for women who are going on mat leave or people who are going off on sick leave sure. or life happening. And right. again, quite wisely, Irene was like, you have a long career ahead of you. This right. is going to be a two year snapshot time an investment in yourself, which will pay back. You have to trust that it will pay back. You have to have fear fierce faith that this will pay back for you in some way, shape, or form, whether that be teaching in a classroom, whether that be changing your city or coming back to Guelph, all these different factors that you have no kind of knowledge in or, you know, um, absolute kind of, you know, confirmation that it's going to work out. Right. But just this faith that you're going to take this leap and it's going to happen. I totally remember this card that she gave me that last year that was like, you know, thanks for investing yourself in this space for the last seven years you're ready to fly go for it Mm. and I was like okay (laughs) awesome you know and it was great and it did turn out to turn out right like I ended up working for Ryerson part-time while I was in grad school all these different place you know spaces and places came to came to be and the things that probably in the moment you're not you're not thinking strategically like oh maybe this will add up to this it's kind of your your like you're saying the faith you're taking that leap of faith and it's gonna pay up absolutely Okay, so I want I have two questions. Yeah. Well, I mean I've got several. <laughs> but the first one is I think like one of the things that like I think you're known for is like you're fiercely proud of where you come from. Like everyone mm. knows about like your background and your family and being from Hamilton. Um, how do you think that plays into the way you approach your work? So you've mm. got that you're really grounded in your sense of family and where your family comes from and where you're local to. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that influences the way you approach your work as a director of student life at Ryerson? Mm. Great question. Um, we just came up with our mission statement this year mm. as a team. Our, our why, actually. Our why statement. So we did some work with Simon Sinek and his team. Um, and our why 
in student life at Ryerson is to empower people so that they reach their infinite potential. And so we very intentionally put people instead of students because we're working with each other and campus partners and city partners. Sure. We very intentionally put infinite to try to get buy-in and and kind of vision on the fact that this is a very special time very special work that we're doing and that there are infinite possibilities right um and then we put potential at the same time because we know that potentials potential means that sometimes it's going to happen and sometimes it's not Mm -hmm. and when we're talking to students about this it's very new so we're kind of breaking this down the professional team came together and did this process we're all really proud of it but you can see students like furrow their little eyebrows they're like what do you mean you know Mm. and for some of our students it's the first time that they're hearing such language like what do you mean I have infinite potential what does infinite mean Um, and for other students they're like of course of course I can reach whatever goal I'm, I'm getting to so I think that personally for me I stand behind empowerment because I needed to be empowered in many different facets and ways right so I really think that knowing your story is the first piece to being able to sense what gaps you need to fill with community in terms of getting your goal, Mm. who you need to talk to, what training you need, what credentials you might need, as well as what you bring to the table, you know? So what are the gifts that you have? What are the gifts that you're going to give to the world? What are the gifts you're going to give to your team? And where are you going to go and how are you going to make those decisions? And that all comes from personal reflection and understanding kind of where you're at, what the gifts are of where you came from and then where you want to go. And specifically at Ryerson, I think that our students are so amazing. They're, some of them have done, all of them have done so much already when they come to us. Right. And it would be very um, unresponsible of, irresponsible of us to not understand their story and take the time to hear what their stories are. We're, and bring yours to the table as well, right? Absolutely. And have that exchange because it's those relationships that are built on that kind of authentic exchange of stories, maybe. You got it. And yeah. the community. The community to the space to have those connections in order to be able to together reach that infinite potential. And it's been really cool to see. Next year will be our first full year where we will have all of our training components have this mission statement. So last year it was like a cup, the first initial training components components this it wasn't clear so there was a lot of like what what do we do i know what we're doing but why wasn't there yeah it could be like a really good rallying cry right just for everyone to get behind it and empowerment like empowerment is the tool to be able to get to that point Mm -hmm. of whatever that goal is for for our students and then the muscle building of continuing to do that over and over again in life no matter what goal you're working on right right to empower yourself to be able to see the vision know the steps and get it done so what see i'm gonna turn the tables what impact <laughs> yeah see what's happening <laughs> what empowered you to re to start working towards reaching your infinite potential because mm-hmm. you're a first-gen student mm-hmm. starting university i love the story of like you going into residence <laughs> <laughs> um to Guelph, which, you know, is a very particular um, kind of community, a very strong community. And so kind of seeing yourself as a leader and taking on those roles and then taking on those roles within the profession, like what has empowered you to seek mm-hmm. your unlimited potential? Uh, I think that my my family background, it's a very particular time in our overall ancestry. Sure. My parents deciding to leave their home and everything that, they knew to be true and safe and come to Canada. Um, and they came at a very, I would say, 
supportive time, you know, and they came at a time when they were, as a whole, as a country, we were welcoming lots of different immigrants. We're a country that's built on immigrants. They were right. supported in many, many ways, but I would say personally developing, they that's probably the gap that they had the most. So it was hard for them to integrate into their neighborhoods. And we grew up with this sense of struggle, you know, mm. this sense of like, hey, life isn't always amazing. It's certainly not family ties or you know, <laughs> all the things that were on yep. TV at the time, yep. right? So I think very early on, um, I had this kind of dico- dichotomous, you know, relationship with life where I was like, I think it's supposed to be this. This is what the world is telling me that life should be like, family life particularly. Mm-hmm. And then what was happening in my home was two parents working shift work with two hours in between where Oprah babies at me, you know, right. like that's what was the real deal. So I think the empowerment came from, my family being a stand for our success, education was always one of our biggest values in the home. Um, and it came from lots of different community members who had nothing to do with my family stepping in for mm. those two hours. So teachers, basketball coaches, like just people who believed in me for no other reason than I was a kid who showed up to their classroom every day, right. you know? And I think that taught me very early on that we have big roles to play for the students who show up for us. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be voluntarily or, you know, passing by in the hallway, we're those support cast members who are taking these students through whatever journey they want, but in a very kind of integral and important way. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're so articulate. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my, um... <laughs> you're biased. Oh, I'm just, yeah, I'm just... <laughs> No bias here. Um, I have a question, and this is something that's been coming up a lot, and I think we've spoken about this, is whenever we see panelists or speakers, we always really put these exemplars, like these success stories, and we hear their success stories, and they're important because we want to be like those success stories. But I think sometimes the narrative we erase or forget to tell is some of the dips or like the failures or the mistakes. So some of the jobs we didn't get or some of the things that maybe we would have done differently. Mm. So I'm wondering... Because I know a lot of young professionals come to you and ask you about entering the field and what are some steps. But what are – we could read all your success stories probably like yeah. on your LinkedIn profile or yes. like, um, just talk, ask around. You've got a great reputation. <laughs> but what are some of the stories maybe that won't be on those – in those spaces? Like what would be an example of maybe a failure or a mistake that you think would be useful for others to, to hear? Oh, my goodness. I would say the last year has been a real – exercise and falling and getting back up just mm. learning a new gig um in a, you in get a, knocked down but you get up again <laughs> you they're never gonna keep you down <laughs> i just put a chumbawamba <laughs> that's uh 2006 2005 mm-hmm. um yeah uh one of the you know i just had this conversation with one of my staff members this year and it was like you know you never screw up i'm like oh my god i screwed up today with a colleague of yours giving feedback in an absolutely inappropriate time at a time when that person was not ready to get that feedback. I can be pretty fierce. I appreciate fierce feedback. So I think that again, it's kind of human nature to think that everyone's like you and wants life to be just like you want it. And it was a, a mistake that I knew impacted that person that, that I care deeply for. I knew it did not help them do their work better that day which is my role, right? <laughs> um, and I knew that I had to apologize and, and clean it up quick, right? So that's one of my tenets is like in this very dynamic relationship that we have with each other, 
in this dynamic work that we're doing. I like to give freedom to my team to be who they are, but I think we have to have very real conversations about when we're being authentically ourselves and we edge up on each other and we, you know, my authenticity is totally not jiving with your authenticity. That's, that's an edge moment. And when you rub two edges together, they smooth it out. Right. So I make mistakes every week, you know, and certainly I think the ones that touch my heart the most are the ones where I'm, I'm giving feedback to someone that I, my intention is to make them better or to, make the product better right? and it's taken in a way that is for whatever reason, whether it's timing or my, you know, my mood, my attitude, whatever it might be, whatever magic things are not happening, that person then is hurt, you know, mm. and that's never my intention. Um, but certainly those are the ones that hurt the most for me, you know, and as a director, it's different than you being a manager, you know, there's lots or being a facilitator, being a doer, right. There's lots more. I think I learned a lot in my career by having, a team of eight people like we were on, all with the same job description, all doing the exact same work, right? in quotation marks, on paper, but with, with different people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got really good at giving and receiving feedback from each other. Not everyone's had that opportunity. Yeah. Right? So I think it's important to own up. I talk about mercy with my team a lot and the um, kind of the space for everyone to be able to fail. And then knowing which failures mean the most to you right so if I fail on a presentation all right you yeah. know it's not gonna hurt but if I know that I have just hurt you in some way shape or form I'm, I am gonna want to have a follow-up conversation quickly you know yeah. if that's appropriate right so those are the failures that hurt the most the personal failures I think are you know I'm trying to think of one that would be that would be interesting for I think those are the ones they're they're interrelational yeah yeah those are the ones that I think are the ones that are both both the biggest learning opportunities, but also just painful. You know, you don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. Well, especially I think, I mean, you named it, right? Like our, we're bringing our whole selves to the workplace and we're doing work that we care about. Like no one's just kind of clocking in, clocking out. So mm-hmm. our work is something that's deep connected to our sense of self. So we have feedback on the work. It's feedback on ourselves. So Absolutely. it's all quite tough to manage as a manager. Yeah. Um, to kind of want the best for the program, but also kind of treading lightly so you're not offending the folks that you're you're working with. Yeah. And it's getting feedback, getting feedback is a piece that I think is a, an answer to that. So I think that one of the ways I hope that I make a atmosphere where people are able to bring their authentic selves and rub up with other people's authentic selves and come up with the best way moving forward is that I am open to feedback. Please let me know how you want to work and and live and play and what my role is in making that the best possible thing for you. And then I can have authentic conversations with you about when you're clear and I'm clear, we can talk for real. Do you find though, cause I, I try to do the same, but I kind of feel like in our work when we're in positions that do hiring and all that kind of stuff that I think people sometimes, even though it's invited mm-hmm. and it's said openly, I think there's a voice probably in someone's head that's like, don't voice your feedback too much because when you want a reference, you might sure. that might play out in a different way or you want that other job. So yeah, I f- and I feel the same way sometimes. Like I might not necessarily give the full honest feedback to someone who has more power than me, right? Just yep. because they're even though we might have a good, honest, strong, authentic relationship, there's always that dynamic that's always I don't know. Yeah. Do you have any strategies that would? Can you just solve that for me? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I I think that. Uh, you know, one of the most important relationships 
I have is the relationship I have with my leader, right? right? And it always has been. I've mentioned two key moments in my life that came from advice coming from my boss at the time, right? right? So my boss telling me to leave could be taken as, wow, I'm doing a bad job or wow, like all these things. But no, like having this kind of relationship with your supervisor where you both agree that you're interacting with each other with the best possible development for your employee mm-hmm. as well as for the program and the work that's happening, you know, and that's I think it comes super from trust. important. Yeah. yeah. I just read Rising Strong by Brene Brown and you know, very key language around stories and making up stories. So I had a conversation with my boss very quickly in the couple weeks that was after that book and it was like, Hey, I'm making up a story about you not trusting me with this specific project. Right. Please help me understand if that story's true. Absolutely not, you know, and we do make up stories, you know, that's, that's fill in the blanks. Absolutely. So it's checking in on those blanks with your, both your employees as well as your leaders to make Mm -hmm. sure that you're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. That takes courage, I think, sometimes. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's called work. (laughs) You go to work every day. It's because it's hard. Absolutely. Um, Okay. I have a few, like, quasi-rapid fire questions. Okay. Because we're nearing the end of our time together. Um, the first one is if you were not in student affairs or in kind of like an education role, what what profession do you think you would be in? I have a side gig, side hustle as a life coach, and I think I would pursue that more with a side of authoring. I have a dream to kind of author some more, so a book perhaps. Oh, yeah. heard it here first, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Um, what is in your bandwidth? So we were talking earlier about people who read a lot of journal articles and people who read books and podcasts and like, what's in your bandwidth? What's taking up space in your, um, in your life? I am currently read. one of my goals for 2016 is to read one book a month. So I'm an avid reader. Um, I just got Netflix like two months ago and like have been taken away by scandal and suits and like, that's (laughs) awesome. But for the last you know, 30-something years, I've been an avid reader. So one book a month. I'm currently reading Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, mm-hmm. which is uh, a book about what we make meaning of in life. Um, and I'm actually going to try this year to have maybe have a couple more fun books. I tend to go towards the nonfiction. Right. How do we make meaning? What is make, What makes us better people? And how do we develop ourselves? Um, but yeah, I think this year I'm going to try uh, some more fun, just some generic, I should know about, you know, potentially 50 Shades of Grey. Never read those. Didn't get to it. I don't know, you know, or <laughs> Twilight. <laughs> Didn't get to it, you know. Oh, I think we can aim higher. <laughs> we can find you something fun. That Never is... watched a Star Wars movie. Like there's some, <laughs> there's some very real. It's important to have goals. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anything that has to do with developing ourselves personally, that's in my wheelhouse. I'm a super soul Sunday girl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I'm going to steal a question from you, but I'm going to, because you're right in front of me, I can <laughs> cite you to your face. <laughs> if you could give everyone in the world oh. one thing, what would you give? Oh my gosh, what gift? I would give everyone the gift of knowledge around what their gift is. Mm. I think that we are, I've heard this analogy recently, we're a symphony and we're all here playing our parts and clarity around what instrument you're playing, what symphony you're in, you know, what the end goal is. Are you a jazz person? Are you a classical person? Just knowledge and clarity around 
their specific snapshot in time right now, what's their gift? What's the thing that they are giving back that would help us, help the world the most? Amazing. Yeah. You've asked that question to a few people. I have. What are, do you remember some of the good answers you've gotten? Oh my goodness, from... I could dig out my journal from, <laughs> from fourth year when I started asking that question. I asked Justin Trudeau, Mar- Margaret Trudeau, um, within a couple months because they were on campus. And I believe Margaret's was about water resource, mm. the no- knowledge about water and how important it was to us. And I feel like Justin's was like, our now, our now prime minister. It was funny. Like, I think it was like 10 bucks. Like, <laughs> everyone needs 10 bucks, you know? And I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you're running one day, but I'll vote for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and my last two questions are, who should I interview next as I proceed through this podcast? And what questions should I ask them? Ooh, a two-in-one question. I am, you know, I am, I'm very proud of my team uh, at, at Student Life at Ryerson, as well as in Housing and Residence Life and the whole Ryerson Student Affairs team. I adore, adore the people we work with. I'm particularly kind of um, intrigued by the work of Kate Taylor Sweeney. Mm-hmm. She's our leadership development facilitator. Uh, she is a student affairs professional who came up from an athlete's perspective. So she was a student athlete. So quite different. Me too. <laughs> so what sport did you play, Adam? Um, uh, next question. <laughs> um, so I just appreciate Kate's perspective. You know, she was a student athlete, which I think is a really interesting group of leaders on our campuses mm-hmm. that we don't always think about. Yeah. Um, and she's fierce. And she's okay. getting stuff done. She just birthed a leadership program at Ryerson that's doing very, very well. Um, and I think that I would ask her about how we as a field can honor diverse backgrounds and places into the, into the field and how we can leverage that diverse, diversity of experience into kind of student affairs into the 2020s. What does student affairs look oh. like in the 2020s? Mm. Good question. Anyone else that you want to oh, get out there? Oh, I could shout out lots of people. Um, student affairs kind of friend crushes that are kind of turning into real deal friendships. Uh, Those Deb, are the best. I know. Those are amazing. Deb Schmidt Rogers and Julie Payne Kirchmeier, JPK. Okay. From kind of the Chicago area. We just did uh, a great journey to get to caucus last year. Um, at the time, they both worked at Northwestern. Did JPK do the Pachakacha talk about feminism? Yes, she did. She blew my mind. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I know this podcast is about student affairs in Canada, but I need to. I need oh. a reason to call her. <laughs> okay. Do we have to keep Canadian? Anyway, there are two. Okay. Of my student affairs crushes. I have crushes that are Canadian, so I can. Okay. I can come back up to the north of the forty-nine. <laughs> um, I appreciate and am always impressed by the. The work of the West, you know, I think that mm. we can be very Ontario centric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even, I didn't even know how Ontario centric we were until I started having colleagues from other places in the, yeah. in the country. Um, and I am, I am really kind of, uh, another crush turned into friendships, two of them, Darren Fernandez and Aaron Biddlecombe. So mm. they're both just the kind of, Aaron currently is working on the program for our, our national conference. And Darren, Darren did it last did year. did it last yeah. year. So I'm like super intrigued by their work to make those conferences awesome. Vancouver was amazing. Darren just out of the ballpark killed it. Yeah. Um, and I know Aaron's doing great jobs, so I'd be very interested in hearing updates from them. And talk about like authentic leadership. Like they're yes. just 
Yeah. I think I met Aaron for the first time at caucus and I was just like instantly. Yeah. yeah. No, great. Okay. That's given me a few people to chat okay. with. So I'll see if I can follow up with them, but we'll see how this goes. Great. I don't know how this uh, connected conversation about student affairs is ca- in Canada is going to go, but I'm so happy that the first stop on the journey was with you. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you, Adam. I, I'm, I must say to all the, all the listeners and other kind of turnkey game changing moment, you know, meeting Adam Kewen as a oh. second year residence advisor when he was, you know, just leading our whole campus as, as a third year uh, residence advisor. And you were a friend crush that, or, or kind of like, I guess, a leadership crush that turned into a true friendship as well. So, and here we are. Yeah. Well, and I just remember, I know it's supposed to be ending, but I remember us on the phone. I was working at Queens at the time, my first year as a professional, and you were in fourth year university, and we were just, we both submitted our applications to be resume managers at Guelph, and we were just like, just imagine. <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing? It'll never happen, but wouldn't that be great? I mean, we both went to Guelph. What are the chances of them hiring two? Like, we we, made, we put it out in the universe, and yep. the universe answered, so I, I'm so pleased it did. Yeah, and it keeps on answering. Yeah, thanks, universe. Thank you, universe. And thank you for tuning in. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That is it. That's our first episode, episode number one. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. I hope you can see why Jen Gonzalez needed to be stop number one on this podcast journey. I hope you liked it. And if you want to connect with Jen, you can find her on Twitter. Her handle is at Jen Gonzalez 8. And let me know what you think by tweeting at me. You can find me uh, on Twitter. My handle is at Adam Kuhn, A-D-A-M-K-U-H-N. And if you liked it, please share with a friend or a colleague, or even better, a friend and a colleague. And if you know someone doing amazing work in student affairs in Canada, please let me know. I'm always looking for students, staff, and faculty to chat with. The music for Relay SA was written and performed by the amazing Adrian Ross. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye for now.